Let's kick off episode 590 of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear with some new music. This is actually a song that's not available yet. It doesn't come out until October 21st. But courtesy of High Tide Recordings, we're able to play the song Gag a Wag by Bloodshot Bill right here on Monster Kid Radio. The name of the album is called Songs from the Sludge. And like I said, it comes out October 21st, courtesy of High Tide Recordings. Keep an eye out, or more appropriately, keep an ear out for the entire album. I've listened to the entire thing already. I love it. I hope you're enjoying Gagawag. You'll hear the song in its entirety at the end of this episode. But to get to the end, we've got to get through the middle. And what's in the middle of the show? Well, I've got Joe Schultz joining me this week to talk about Teenage Caveman, a Roger Corman film that, you know, when I started the movie, I had certain opinions. When the movie was over, my opinions had greatly changed. We'll talk a little bit about that and about the twist ending and all of that with Joe. And we're just going to catch up with Joe. It's been a long time since I've had him on the show. So we talk about Teenage Caveman, some things that he's been up to, that sort of thing. And of course, we've got Kenny's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. Wouldn't be an episode of Monster Kid Radio without that. And Mark Matsky's Beta Capsule Review continues. Still checking out episodes of Ultra 7. So that's happening this week here on the show. But before we get to all of that, why don't we dip into a little bit of feedback? I got an email from Kevin Slick. It's time. It's time? Yes, it's time. It's It's time time for Monster Monster Kid Radio Radio Mail Call. This email comes from Kevin. Like I said, he writes, Howdy! Loved the Gamera episode. Also enjoyed hearing more about Pamela. I've seen her Twitch handle many times during the streams. I wish I could catch more of the films, but I'm often playing gigs on Saturdays and need to get out early to set up. I'd love to be part of an MST3K roundtable. A few thoughts... My son and I riff on movies all the time, and I don't think it inhibits our enjoyment of the films in the least. We've been watching all the Ultraman shows in sequence, and we riff all the time, and we're still watching them. There are some seriously goofy things in a lot of films that we love. I know from Joel's talk at the Bash from a few years ago that he respects filmmakers, and as some have mentioned, a lot of the humor is pop culture references rather than making fun of the filmmakers. I think that overall it's been a benefit to Monster Kids, introducing many to the love of the genre. Let's not forget, Uncle Forey constantly wrote puns and poked fun at the films with his captions on the photos in Famous Monsters of Filmland, and that was a major touchstone for most of us. Getting ready to head off to the October Bash, a more low-key event than the Summer Monster Bash. Might have time to actually chat with friends this time, Kevin. All right, so a couple things. The Gamera episode, I had a blast doing that with Brian, too. That just happened a couple of weeks ago. And then having Pamela, the Kaiju Queen, on the chat. You know, I just love bringing more people in to the Monster Kid Radio uh, podcast proper. So it was awesome to have her on the show as well. She's been a great supporter. So it was awesome to have her on the show proper. The MST3K thing, you know, you're right. Usually the movie riffs by MST3K, especially in the case of Joel's era, are less about the movies and more about pop culture stuff and, and relating it to the movies. I do feel sometimes with the Mike episodes, they were punching down more than punching up, if that makes sense. But still... I know MST3K is responsible for bringing a lot of people into the fandom. 
and I respect her for that. I, I just, I go back and forth, back and forth, you know? I guess for me, my biggest takeaway from MST3K is that somehow it has signaled to too many people that it's okay to just kind of riff on a movie in a group setting when not everybody in the group is in on the riffing. And, and that's my biggest issue. But at some point, we will do the MST3K roundtable. I've had quite a few people say they want to do it. So we will do it at some point. Uh, I'm I'm looking forward to I'm taking names. I'm taking names. So it, it'll happen. It'll happen sometime. Uh, I, I've been doing a lot of self-reflecting and kind of figuring out how much time gets spent doing what in my life and what I need to do and that sort of thing. So... I'm trying to schedule things. This guess is what I'm getting at. So stay tuned for the MST3K roundtable. And I know that Uncle Four used to do that too. Uh, and you know the old famous monsters, all the puns and and the jokey jokies and all that. I get it. I know that's part of it. Uh, and, and I know it's part of the history of the fandom and the history of the genre. So anyway, uh, the October Bash. I wish I could be there. Financially, it's just not in the cards for me. It's just not something that can happen. Plus, traveling like that, being stuck on an airplane. I know that in a lot of the parts of the country, we're in the end stages of the pandemic. If we're not already the, you know, in the endemic stage or we're done. But I still feel like I need to be careful. I have some issues, asthma, diabetes, things like that. And my girlfriend, Beth, love of my life, is immunocompromised. And I think... I don't know why I always have a hard time with that word. Immune system, immuno, immune. I always say immuno, like I'm talking about, uh, anyway. Immunocompromised in some ways. So I have to be very careful about exposing her to anything. Believe you me, everybody. I'd love to be at the bash and I'd love to see everybody. I miss it. I miss what Ron and company bring together. And I miss the community that comes together for this thing. I would love to introduce Beth to everybody. I know she'd like to meet everybody too. Someday y'all get a chance to meet her in person at an event, I'm sure. And this bash, we've got a wedding happening. Uh, Terry from That's Terry Riffic is getting married to her beloved Tom at the convention this time around. And, you know, I wish I could be there. I, I, I do. It's just too many factors aligning against me doing these kinds of things. So I, I you know, I will be there in spirit. If anybody's going to be at the October bash, I'd love to hear all about it. You know, call in, let us know how it is. If you have any recordings or anything that you take or whatever, I would love to share it here on the show as well, of course. Uh, and, you know, drop by and say hey to Kevin, you know, <laughs> and anybody else. And, and Terry, of course, and Tom and all them. And, and yeah. anyway. If you want to be cool like Kevin and send us some email to be read here on the show, you can drop me an email at monsterkidradio at gmail.com, or you could call and leave us a voicemail at area code 360-524-2484. That's, of course, going to be in the show notes. Kevin, thanks for writing in, man. Pounding across the motion picture screen comes the most terrifying monster of them all. Gamera, the Invincible. Gamera, the super monster that even the H-bomb cannot destroy. Gamera, the Invincible. Gamera, consuming raw atomic power. Power to destroy entire cities. Open fire! Man's most destructive weapons have no effect on Gamera, the Invincible. 
the mightiest nuclear weapons ever devised are powerless against Gamera, the Invincible. Is humanity doomed? Will the world be destroyed? The United Nations is called to emergency session in a last desperate effort to save the world. We have one plan that we think might work. We have discussed Plan Z with the Japanese authorities, and they agree it is the best of our alternative plans. Is that correct, sir? That is so. Plan Z is hope of the world. A cast of thousands at the mercy of the most terrifying monster that ever lived. Brian Donlevy as General Arnold. is beyond comprehension. He must be stopped now. Albert Decker as the Secretary of Defense. Will Plan Z stop Gamera? Gamera, the Invincible. I am Dr. Lee Cushing. Welcome to my Chamber of Horrors. Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors is a monster rally novel in the tradition of the classic Universal and Hammer horror film. It's written by Stephen D. Sullivan, the award-winning author of White Zombie, Daikaiju Attack, Manos the Hands of Fate, and one of the creators of the original chill role-playing game. This book recreates the thrills of the classic monster versus monster film. We've got vampires, werewolves, mummies, psychic twins, scheming madmen, Plenty of unexpected chills. Now you can get Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors in print or for Kindle at Amazon.com and other fine retailers. Coming soon in other ebook formats. Find out more at CushingHorrors.com or SDSullivan.com and support Steve's work through Patreon at HeySteve.com. I do hope you've enjoyed your visit. Please come again and remember the chamber is always waiting for its next victim. Live from the Land of Light in Nebula M78, home of the mighty Ultra Heroes, it's Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review. A tremendous explosion obliterates a TDF base on the lunar surface, marking the beginning of Terror on the Moon, in Ultra 7, episode 35. While Officer Shirahama is demonstrating his remote control invention, Captain Kurida receives word of the blast. Meanwhile, the Ultra Guard gets the same news, causing Captain Kiriyama and Dan Moroboshi to launch into space with the moon as their destination. Kurida and Shirahama take flight in the V3 Station Hawk, also intent on investigating the accident site and the two captains, who are also old friends, establish radio contact with one another, reminiscing about a previous space mission. When Kiriyama starts experiencing odd physical symptoms, it looks as though there's too much oxygen in the cabin, something that Dan should have noticed pre-flight. As malfunctions begin to cascade, the captain questions Dan's integrity. But just before landing on the moon, Dan traces ultrasonic waves to Kurida's station hawk. Kurida and Shirahama beat them to the demolished base, where Shirahama tries to pull out Kurida's oxygen hose. In the ensuing struggle, it becomes clear that Captains Kurida and Kiriyama are the objects of an elaborate revenge plot and have been lured to the moon for one deadly reason. 
Terror on the Moon essentially limits the story to the aforementioned characters, and it's a classic case of less is more, giving the two teams of two plenty of time to interact. There are a couple of effective crescendos of suspense, one regarding Shirahama's true identity, and the other involving Ultra 7 being deprived of solar energy in his battle against Moon Monster Pedro, who looks like he could be a distant relative of Smog Monster Hetera. Central to the success of Terror on the Moon is the chemistry between the captains, who love to bust each other's chops when they're not saving each other's hides. Space Station V3 Combat Captain Kurita, who viewers first met in Ultra 7 Episode 3, was played by Hiroshi Minami, who would go on to play Command Officer and Pro Golfer Ipe Amada in Subaraya Productions' Mighty Jack. Minami enjoyed an active career in movies and television with a role in the cult classic Yakuza film Branded to Kill and an appearance on the American TV show I Spy. For Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review, this is Mark Matsky reporting. Last week when I kind of threw in there that Mark Matsky was emceeing an event. Well, I got it wrong. It's actually next June in Canton, Ohio, Monster Fest. Mark will be emceeing that event where there will be, as he puts it in the message to me, quote, quote, lots of cryptozoological shenanigans, end quote. Also, uh, that event the night before on June 2nd, there will be a small town monsters movie premiere at the Canton Palace Theater. Granted, it's not happening until June 3rd of next year, but, you know, maybe put it on your calendar now. Out of the polluted waters it came to become the most fearful menace that ever threatened mankind. <sighs> Feeding, growing ever more deadly on smog, only one force dared stand up to its overpowering evil. Godzilla! Godzilla versus the smog monster. Will Godzilla, man's friend, be vanquished? More than 1,600 dead have been reported, while other casualties are expected to exceed 30,000. storage tank of the Japan Oil Company has exploded. Nothing man can do can stop the smog monster. Can Godzilla save the Earth from this mastodon of destruction? Hello there, Monster Kid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. Today, Derek and his guest are critiquing the Roger Corman <clears throat> classic Teenage Caveman. I found a brief mention of the film in FM94 in an article entitled Shockabye Baby, 
which was about surprise endings in monster movies. I'm going to read it for you, so obviously we have a spoiler alert. If you have not seen the movie and want to be surprised by its shock ending, fast forward 30 seconds so you don't miss out on the fun watching the actual movie. I will pause before reading so you know when to fast forward. Are you ready? Here we go. Three, two, one. The audience knew that the primitive humans and monsters in Teenage Caveman were our ancestors, but no one suspected that they were actually the aftermath of a nuclear war. The Teenage Caveman was played by Robert Vaughn, who later went on to much greater fame on television. After that time, he returned to movies which included some sci-fi flicks that FM covered. The first of these is found in FM 142 from April of 1978, Starship Invasions, where Vaughn co-starred with Christopher Lee. Let's hear the mention of Mr. Vaughn in that article. But the story of the unfortunate Robert Eckert comes to the attention of university professor Alan Duncan, Robert Vaughn, who does place credence in the existence of visitors from the void and has become a popular talk show figure on TV by expressing his unorthodox views. He takes the report seriously. There is also a three-quarter page photo of Vaughn reading a UFO book. Here's the caption. Unthinkably fantastic objects? But Robert Vaughn, playing university professor Alan Duncan, believes in the existence of extraterrestrial astronauts in starship invasions. In FM 170, from January 1981, we read about Vaughn's return to his roots. He had a starring role in the Roger Corman production of Battle Beyond the Stars. Let's read how his character was introduced in this Star Wars 7 Samurai homage. Vaughn for all and all for Vaughn. Following his fortunate encounter with the clones of Nestor, Shad heads for the planet Noskasta, and there meets Gelt, Robert Vaughn. Vaughn, of course, dates clear back to Teenage Caveman, and in succeeding performances, has distinguished himself in the Man from Uncle series, and won an Oscar, an Emmy, and a British Oscar. He appeared in the sci-fi film The Mind of Mr. Soames. Vaughn plays Gelt, a renegade, a man with a price on his head in every sector of the universe. He is presently hiding out from interstellar minions of the law. Shad is chagrined that he can't pay the high price Gelt demands for his expert services, but comes up with a compromise. I can't pay you what you're worth, he admits, but perhaps you'd be interested in a safe refuge. I can offer you asylum on Akir. Accepted. I'm sure many of you are, like me, doubting that last blurb from Famous Monsters of Filmland, and I just had to check it out. You're right, Robert Vaughn did not win an Oscar, but he was nominated in 1960 for a supporting role in The Young Philadelphians. He also did not win a BAFTA, but he was nominated in a supporting role in Bullet. So yeah, FM got it wrong. He did win an Emmy for supporting performance in Washington Behind Closed Doors in 1978. So, nobody's perfect. That is all for this week's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. We will have more next week. For MKR, this is Kenny saying adios.
I don't know. Ejected from unexplored secret stratus, this giant, harder-than-steel piston, disgorges strange creatures, inundating our world, twisting the emotions of women, distorting our men. This is a piece we got off the mayor. Reflex action like a snake. Cut a snake in half and the two pieces go off in different directions. These things take over a man's mind? He becomes a... A robot? A machine taking orders? Join the hunt for the hiding place of terror. Find the breeding place of these globs of destruction. In feeding the mouth parts, rupture the cells, convey the food to the stomach by a, a pumping action. adventure that'll burst your blood vessels with suspense. See the Brain Eaters. This is Count Dracula, and I'm here to offer you a friendly warning. Derek and his guests often get excited and occasionally this results in revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing. You know how the children of the night, ah, I mean monster kids, can get sometimes. So consider yourself warned, and don't come begging to me to kill them for their transgressions afterward. I have more pressing issues to take care of, like that pesky Van Helsing. place where there are only a few dead trees and a few animals to give to the fire when there's plenty there there are shadows there deep and cold and dirt that eats men and animals far more terrible than any you've seen what lies beyond just as modern man reaches into outer space primitive man searches beyond his horizons finding new and terrifying creatures in his prehistoric world Massive beasts, his simple weapons only anger. Killer dogs he had not yet learned to tame. His courage proves the teenage caveman all man, winning for him a woman's love. We could make a place to lie down on, space above the floor so the cold couldn't reach us as we slept. A love pure and passionate and pagan. Strengthening his courage, his daring, his dreams. I came to give this earth to the clan. See the awe-inspiring beasts in a teenage caveman's world. See reptilian monsters locked into the death battle. No 
All right, so we are recording. We are live. I haven't had my friend Joe Schultz on the show in forever. It happened like once, I think, right? Yeah, it's been a little. Thanks, Derek. It's been a while. We we did. Uh, gee, I can't even remember. <laughs> I, it's been that long. It's been that long. It, it, it's been day the world ends, and I think it was like one fifty or something like that, or two fifty maybe. Oh man, gosh. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's the thing about the longer I do the show. The more episodes, the more I forget. <laughs> what well, what number done. are you up to now? You're up to this. Crazy oh, we did the day now, the right? world ended, and it was right. in December of 2017. Oh, I was a kid back then. <laughs> Episode 350. 2017? Yeah. <laughs> no way. So five years later, you're back on the show. <laughs> I'm very, very glad to be back. <laughs> Wow. Wow. Yeah, I know. A whole Marvel universe happened in between. Oh, gosh, you're right. It's been a lot. And you've been a busy, busy man. You've been doing all sorts of stuff. So back then, I was like, yeah, this guy that I know, he did the Backstreet Boys video, you know, he did some special. But you've built up a lot of stuff since then. I mean, you've been doing uh, teaching and videos and movies. You've done some things for MKR. You've just been just a busy, busy man, man. Yeah, I'm grateful. I, I've just, um, it's been nice. Teaching VFX was fun because cause I love seeing the enthusiasm, all the new people jumping in and seeing what we can do. The technology keeps changing. I'm, I'm actually up for a teaching job, I think, the beginning of the year to do Unreal Engine, which is something I've been working on a lot. And again, it's cutting edge stuff and we can create these amazing visuals we could have never done, you know, before. Mm -hmm. And then since I'm rooted in, you know, the practical effects world, I'm kind of this rare oddity now, so I'm in demand because not too many of us around that remember how to do it or actually professionally done, you know, miniatures and, and makeup effects, you know, practically and creature design and worlds. Uh, and now all of a sudden it's, you know, the computer age. And I think it helps. I mean, it helps a lot. I'm working now. Today I've been doing uh, wounds, uh, people getting their throats slashed, bullet wounds and stuff for movie Caraganda, which I've been working for. Uh, we shot it last year. I was makeup effects supervisor on the shoot. I did all the practical gunshots with squibs and uh, blood effects. And now I'm in the post world doing the, do the rest of that follow through. And I'm going to be um, building a prison camp. I have airport shootout, helicopters exploding. It's just a ton of shots and, you know, a lot of work. But it, it's rare. But I, I love the fact that I can take it from practical and then just nurse made it through the digital area and get it done to be responsible and, you know, have that kind of input with the director and, and going forward. So yeah, so now I'm in the computer world and wish I was on the set, but when I'm on the set, then I kind of sometimes wish I was in the computer world. I think he's awesome. I mean, this having this kind of, uh, this hybrid approach and I think it makes it all the better, right? Because you know, what looks good based on, all of your experience as a physical effects artist. So you're able to bring that eye to something that, you know, a lot of people I imagine have never gotten their hands with, with latex or fake blood or something. So I think that's awesome. Right. You, you kind of see how light reads and how just things look in the real world with these guys, like in the, in the earlier days, they had to make do with what they got. And it's like, whenever I meet a director, I, I don't like it when they ask, what is the software you use? What is this and that? And I'm like, I'm not your guy. I want them to say, this is the shot. How are you going to do it? And then I have 
a million options as opposed to just the console. You know, I could do part of it miniature, I could do part of it for real, I could do part of it this way. And it winds up looking more effective because it's a blend and it's just cleaner that way. It looks more realistic. Um, it's more creative for the artist because you can kind of mess around and do, you know, what you know and what, what looks better. So I kind of, I like approaching it as a shot. And when I teach, I tell them the same thing. I, you know, I ask them, you know, what do you want to see? You know, they're like, well, I want to learn animation. I'm like, no, what do you want to see? If you want to see yourself on the moon, do you want to see a rocket ship explode? What do you want to see? And then you will learn all the techniques to get there, whether it be practical or um, digital. So I think it's just a better approach. And I, I wish people today would do that approach and, and approach the shop as like a more of a problem solving, not just like, let me just go to the one well of digital and, and that'll be it. I think it's awesome. I did a very, very brief stint. The last time I was in school and college, I did a year at the Art Institute of Portland doing, and, and I was pursuing a computer animation degree. Uh, I washed out like I have with all of my schooling. And my whole, I don't know, drive, I suppose, was that I wanted to blend physical effects with visual effects and kind of just make both fields better. It sounds like you're doing it. What was that? I was watching John Agar movie the other day, the one, uh, scenes of Mia Regina. I'm blown away by those effects in those days that are practical explosions, miniatures, especially in these war movies. It's amazing stuff. And, um, even looking back, like, I know, like, people, artists now, like, looking back, how did they do that? How do they kind of pull that stuff off? What, what I do think is promising now is, especially with Unreal Engine and the new technologies, we're scanning in models, so instead of like uh, instead of building a spaceship in the computer, which is precise and exact, um, you can build a miniature spaceship, and you can scan it in 3D, and then you have that spaceship to manipulate in the digital world. But it has all the textures, the colors, the paint, the artist, you know, touches built into it. Same thing with miniatures and props. You know that you don't have to build in the beauty. You can have the best prop maker in the world make a prop gun, and you can scan it in and get it into the other medium. So um, it doesn't lose that craftsmanship. It's just you know I was explaining to my uh, buddies, the Scotech brothers, that it, just think of it that you build a spaceship the way you've always built it out of wood and plastic and styrene, but instead of filming with a camera, you're just scanning it with another device. It's just another recording, but then you have that and you can manipulate it. And the biggest problem with those models is when they're eight or nine feet long, it's just raking them and moving them around and manipulating them. In the digital world, you have the same look, but you don't have those problems. So, so I like that kind of hybrid approach and that I'm, I'm really interested in especially, especially like um, transformation techniques, you know, how you can use the digital world and transform things that are built practically. You know, by taking fake monster masks, arms, legs, and then fusing them onto a person using motion tracking and things like that. And, you know, where you couldn't before, you had cables to hide, but now you can erase that stuff. So I think, I think it's more exciting uh, for the artist and hopefully for the audience. It gives you some kind of, you know, different look. And, and it's experimental still. It's all cool stuff, man. It's all cool stuff. So when we talk monster movies and you bring something up. I mean, and, and eventually we're going to do this. This is something obviously we've been talking about it for over five years since that was the last time you were on. We have some things that we're going to do you and I somehow, some way we're going to break down how some of these old school effects were done. It'll be a YouTube thing of some sort. I just, 
I'm dying to do it because you've got the research, you've got the insight, and I've got the platform. So let's, you know, let's do something at some point. Not a lot in Teenage Caveman to really break down in terms of how they did the effects. Uh, there's well, some giant took monsters from everywhere suit. else. Yeah, that's the thing, right? <laughs> well, there's a suit. They, they repurposed the suit, I guess. Yes, they repurposed a lot. <laughs> well, oh, it, 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 Roger it's Corman. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, again, it's funny because this, this movie is like one of the candidates for like, the worst movie ever made. You know, uh, so I think. Yeah, so, I mean, I know Robert Vaughn didn't like it. <laughs> no, no, he, he he didn't like it at all. I mean, he totally disowned it. Roger Corman, I guess they switched the title because originally it was supposed to be Prehistoric World, you know, something with some stature. And then. I think years later, Roger Cole was interviewed and they asked him, you know, didn't you direct Teenage Cave? And he goes, I never directed something called that. Yeah. You know, but, but hey, it has all the trade marks of Roger, all of his buddies are in it. You know, it has his hands all over it, including mm-hmm. the fact that, like, um, Bronson Cave, <laughs> you know, right. the cave, in, you know, the cave, the Teenage Cave guys are in, which, you know, yeah. And- so the episode hasn't aired as of this recording, but as of the release of this episode, it will have aired. I just talked about Creature from the Haunted Sea with Tom Greganis. And that movie, another Corman film, and one of the, I don't know if highlight is the right word, but one of the highlights of that film is a guy by the name of Beach Dickerson. He, he does all these yeah. weird sound effects, animal sound effects in the movie. <laughs> uh, and he appears in this film, apparently, not once. Not twice. Four times? Did I read that Four right? Four times, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and I love that the trivia for this film on the Internet Movie Database refers to him mm-hmm. as a Corman thespian. <laughs> thespian. You know, Is that what they were? <laughs> I, I, I imagine. You know, besides the fact that he, play, you know, he plays one of the guys that get paired in quicksand, he plays one of the, in quotes, teenage cavemen. Um, I think the funny, well, he plays a guy, he plays a bear. In the bear suit, which is interesting. <laughs> but the best one I like is he plays the drummer at the funeral for his own character that drowned. <laughs> so it's like he must have been extremely, extremely, tal- extremely talented. Yes. Um, well, what I wanted to say right off the bat is like at the beginning of this movie, I wanted to just give a, a shout out to Paul Julian. He's the veteran uh, the Warner Brothers artist that did all of the title artwork for all these Carmen movies. Uh, there were these really uh, wild, funky, um, very, very impressionistic paintings. Eyeballs floating across the screen. The one for Crab Monster is great. You see, like, girders and all these claws and things. You know, for this one, he does a little sequence of animated, like, twirly uh, dust and explosion kind of wheels, pinwheels. You know, I've always been fascinated by that stuff, and I'd love to get prints of that, just put them all over the wall. Once oh, all wow. just yeah. impressionistic artwork. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. At the beginning, um, he has a good one with, um, oh, I think it's Attack of the Kramlins has like spiders. There's one for um, brain eaters, all of them. So at the beginning of the movies, um, Paul Julian, yeah, he, he was the Warner Brothers guy, did Looney Tunes. That um, makes sense. I could see that. You know, and it's all mixed media stuff. So it's something you wouldn't expect. You know what I mean? Like, you know, for a title. Uh, a title thing. It's just one or two weird paintings. They're really, there's a certain creepiness about them that I really like. Yeah, so Teenage Caveman 1956. Arkoff <laughs> and Nicholson was supposed to be prehistoric world. It's on a double bill with How to Make a Monster, which had 
teenage werewolf and teenage Frankenstein fighting. So, so I he see probably why they changed figured, the name, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's funny because actually I think that it's a better name for what it fits, although nobody's a teenager in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. You know, Robert uh, how, Vaughn, how old was he when he made this? You know, twenty-six. And how old 20... was Steve McLean when he made the Blob? He was in his twenties too. Right? Is, is, yeah, yeah, I think he was younger. So I guess in this movie, uh, you know, would have been it's like a grandfather, but it's like, I guess they left the cave at a later age. <laughs> <laughs> twenty-eight years old when Steve McQueen made the Blob. He was twenty-eight. So okay. You know, there's a lot of talk in this movie about reaching manhood and stuff like that, which I got to think a 26-year-old Robert Bond probably wasn't too keen on. You know, he has this look on his face the whole time. Just And, and I know this has got to be early in his career, right? I don't know what he yeah, was doing. Yeah, I think it's one of his first, you know, things. Although, he's 26, so he must have done. Looks like he did a bunch of television. That makes sense. And you got Robert Vaughn, man from Uncle Magnificent Seven, Tarry Farm. What's interesting is, you know, he plays this really over-the-top role in Superman 3 that I like. Which is the first time I saw him. That's the first movie I ever saw him in was Superman 3. Which I thought was kind of like Kevin McCarthy, you know, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, where he does these big oh. dramatic roles. And then he yeah. chews up the scenery. They're very similar in that respect, that he could play this villain, villainous character in a fun way. So, yeah, yeah. so so... This one, the other, it's funny, the second character, Dara Marshall, is given equal billing or right under his. And she just did, she had six credits, just did TV credits. So I guess she was supposed to be up and coming. She's just kind of like the woman, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. the blonde maiden or something like that. But she, she only did minimal TV credits and they were mostly bits after this. Of course, there's the lovely bad guy, which, um, they refer to as the black bearded one. Frank and, and Dakova. Yeah, and he was oh, he's 48 he's when he great. did this. You know, and, and again, he's somebody who has this very distinctive growling face, but he was in Ten Commandments, Atlantis, the Lost Continent. Um, I, it was funny to find out he was in the Incredible Hulk, F Troop, and then uh, Love American style of all ring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Wow. I was like, right. okay. So, you know, but he's, yeah, I mean, he was 48 when he did this. He was in the adventures of Rin Tin Tin back in the day. Another one of these guys that did a you know, ton of television. I get the vibe, I get the impression that a lot of the cast, uh, a lot of their background was based in television, which is how they probably got him so cheap to do a cheap film like this. You know, and then I guess, you know, the symbol maker was in Attack of the, uh, Leslie Bradley was in Attack of the Grandmother. But then you yeah. have the company, Jonathan Hayes. You know, whose little shop of horrors, the yeah. world ended. Ed Nelson, the brain eaters, who we're going to talk about uh, soon. Yes, yes, I promise. I promise, um, listeners. <laughs> and then it was also good to see Robert Shane as one of the older guys, uh, the fire maker. He has his hair split down. He has a beard. He was in a ton. He was in Kronos, the end of Man, Giant Claw, Wolf of the Battle Giant Claw, for sure. Yeah, that's what I. Um, I love the Giant Claw. I don't know if I've ever talked about it here on the show, but yeah. I like that one a lot. So. Yeah, he has a distinctive voice. And then, of course, you know, Beach Dickerson, which imagine having the name Beach. I, that can't <laughs> be his given name, right? I, the first time I've ever come across it. So I guess it's the first time for everything. You know, I, uh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> so anyway, these are a group of characters. Um, 
there's no uh, bodybuilders among this group. Let's just put it that way. It's basically like um, he got his friends and people he knew would do this movie, put him in Bronson Caves and said, okay, you're cavemen. Um, <laughs> I guess it gets this bad reputation that, um, and there, there's funny things to look out for. Like I know uh, the costumes change constantly. They're made out of like carpet remnants, not fur at all. And they, you can see that they're carpet remnants. They're falling apart, so they keep having to pin them up. So they kind of keep changing. Nobody has a beard. Well, there are a few people with beards that are neatly trimmed, like the bad guy. But, you know, for cavemen, they're immaculately clean and they're oh. all styled. They even oh, shave yeah. the back of their necks with their haircuts. <laughs> yeah, I, the, the hair in particular. I, I was noticing when uh, Robert Bond's character is uh, leading his group of friends to go across the river. They all looked sharp, man. They got the, the the product in their hair, you know. It's like, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and yeah, and you have this group of, of cavemen that are basically restricted. They're living in this valley and they can't leave it because there's all these taboos that have been set up. And they have like the keepers of the law, the fire maker, the symbol maker, a guy who just all day builds uh, something and he just breaks it to remind them whatever you build is going to fall apart. It's like, I want to know where the barber is. You know, because, you know, if you got all these guys, because he must have been keeping, <laughs> you know, he must have been keeping really busy. But it, it is, I think it, it's funny that besides the age thing, everybody does look, I don't know how you would shave in caveman days, a rock, I guess. <laughs> I, you know, they, they had, and I noticed this too, there was a lot of like stone spears and things like that. But Robert Vaughn has a hunting knife strapped to his side the entire time. I guess it could have been a stone knife, but it sure looked like it was made out of metal. Where'd that come from? Well, yeah, but but hear me out here. I was checking it out. I, it occurred to me that when, you know, no spoilers yet, but when you get to the end of this movie, uh -huh. all of that stuff is logical that it would still be there. Yeah, and that's you actually know, where I was going with this, too, is because we're, we're going to spoil something about this movie that kind of makes the movie much cooler than it has any right to be, I think. Yeah, it, it makes up for all these inconsistencies. If they were, I am pretty sure they were not intentional. But if you look at it with this twist that they were intentional, it makes a it makes sense. And it, and it kind of look in the back of that way. You're like, oh, this is genius who wrote this. Yeah, <laughs> sure, sure. Genius. I'm, I'm sure that's what Roger Corman and all them thought. <laughs> You know, um, but but it, it is really interesting. It brings to um. Well, we'll, we'll get to the, we'll get to the end because it's like a M Night Shyamalan thing, I think. But um, anyway, uh, Robert Vaughn is the you know, he's the the hero of this. He he wants to get out in the world. He's has his teenage angst at twenty six, and he wants to get out and see what's beyond the valley where there's more monsters and, and dinosaurs and and just more country you know he's stuck in being this in literally this little cave so he wants to get out and explore this stuff convinces his friends like any good friend would to go with them um they are see uh, dinosaurs all wonderful stock footage from what is it uh one million years bc right the original <laughs> um and then it's all kinds of armadillos all kinds of things there's um the obligatory uh quicksand so one of them gets, you know, killed in quicksand, but then later on, he's playing the drums at his own funeral. Well, I guess that worked out. Um, 
but he brings more and he stays there and the the big thing that he's warned about is there's this creature that kills by its touch the monster that kills by its touch and his father's the symbol maker and his father draws all these cave paintings and he tells them that you have this creature it's larger than a man it's impervious to spears um you know um it's poisonous uh, it's touch can kill um so while he's out on his journey um with his friends you know firstly they get they get all dispatched and they leave him there after the one guy gets killed they all leave him there alone and then he has an encounter with this so-called creature um Runs away from it and knocks himself out by running into a tree. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, sure. You know, then those, you know, then the rest of them come back and they just rat on him. Like, you know, so-and-so took us out when we shouldn't have been. You know, he's a bad egg. And then, of course, the bad guy with the, with the good old black beard there starts just, you know, ripping into him saying, we should kill him, we should kill him, we should kill him. It's kind of like his answer to everything, right? Yeah. The funny thing also in this movie is there's a lot of stuffed animals. Besides the bear suit, they can't, they like, I think Robert Vaughn is carrying like a deer over his shoulders and the legs are all like twigs dried out. <laughs> With the bite, even when he throws it, it's like boom. Well, even you know? before that, though, like it, it opens with them bringing uh, like a deer or something over, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. You know, so I guess they, you know, must have raided some, uh, you know, some trophy trophy case, and so let's get all this stuff in there. But 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 yeah. So basically, he has this account. He goes back, and then he has to, you know, take his medicine. He he had the guy killed and everything else, and luckily, um, saner heads prevail, and they they let him live. But they're gonna kind of kick him out of the cave, um, which he's okay with his girlfriend. They want to. They're gonna build another cave like on the side of it or something. Yeah. They're, um, they're going to go build something somewhere else. And there's this, why the, the cave is big enough for all of us. Why don't you sleep? Like, well, you know, Robert yeah, like we want to make our own oats, man. He wants to, <laughs> you know, I guess. And then he's not supposed to speak to her, but then, you know, Oh, and that's another thing. He, he during his adventures, I don't know how he has time for this. He's so, not threatened by this prehistoric world that he goes and he makes like a flute out of some bamboo or something. So he's like playing these like, uh, you know, flute songs, which was just, which I guess he totally uses random. Woo. Yeah. Well, he uses them to woo her later on. Cause he says, you know, That's I know true. you can't speak to me, but you know, we can speak, you know, this way, you know, but you know, it's like all teenagers are talking about the outside world and hope and everything else. And, and the old guys are just holding on to this, you know, belief and they don't even really know, why they're holding on to it. And I guess one is, uh, makes fire and then blows it out to show that you can have this great thing and it can go away. And then somebody is uh, using the wheel and then somebody's using, um, like I said, he's break, he's making something to breaking it. So they have this certain symbolism that has been built up in this taboo that they can't leave this place because it'll not only endanger them, but it'll bring back danger. So, so something terrible happened. Um, we're not sure what it is. Um, and there's all these like dinosaurs and everything else, you know, going on around them, which I thought was pretty interesting the way it was laid out. I thought so. Um, it's it's an interesting pitch for for a story. I mean, if it wasn't, 
if it wasn't a Roger Corman production, and I don't mean that in a negative way, because we all love Roger Corman stuff, right? We love what he does. We love who he mm-hmm. is and all that. It's got the stink of a Roger Corman film. If it didn't have that, this could have been a really interesting Twilight Zoney, Outer Limitsy kind of story and, and production. All the elements are there. Well, yeah, it, it is, and, and I think like the characters. If you listen to the, like the dialogue about this fan, especially about the, um, you know, the bad guy here, the angry guy, he kills everything. Is kill, kill, kill. It's all violence. He's like the worst of them. You know what I mean? Where where he's basically, you know, keeping them the whole the whole group suppressed. They don't, you know, I don't want to hear anything. I don't want to see anything. I want to stay here in my little bubble. You know, and they just hate everything. You know, yeah. and anything that's a threat to that, especially the youth, which again, that's why I kind of like the teenage caveman thing because it does have that rebelliousness in there. You know what I mean? Yeah, it should have. And, and I like the title. I think the title fits. It's a little weird, but I think when you start to watch the movie and you really kind of get into it and see what Roger, Robert Bond's really kind of getting into and all that. And, and it's interesting like the, that the older people in there, they they don't even question why these are taboos or why they're restricted. They just accept it. That's the way it is, which I hate to say most, as you get older, you kind of are set in your ways. You don't give any explanations. You just say, I know this is what I know. This is the way it's always been. This is the way it's going to be where when you're young, you're going to take the risks and there's always something on the other side, you know, and you're always looking for that. I thought that was really, you know, interesting, even though, even with his friends, but again, they're not going to take the initiative and go out there. So I thought Robert Fon character at least does that. Um, yeah. You know, and again, uh, this this movie is very talky. It does have uh, dinosaur footage cut in with them looking at the dinosaur footage. And um, it has these kind of encounters. There's um, wild dogs, packs of dogs around there, which it's funny because I guess Robert Fon was actually bitten on set by them. Um, yeah. Looks like uh, he got hurt a few times making this thing. You know, because well, it's funny because I read that he had stepped on a bottle. I'm thinking, like, yeah, well, Griffith Park probably has a lot of those. <laughs> <laughs> you know, beer. The crew was probably throwing beer bottles and he stepped on one. Um, Wouldn't be surprised. But it has, it has, you know, it has those trappings of the, of the kind of nature going to rising. But again, mm-hmm. it's all uh, this uh, thing that touches with his, uh, uh, kills with its touch, which... Um, I guess we get to this now. So basically, the um, the Blackbeard guy, he winds up going head-to-head and fighting with Robert Vaughn. You know, they, they wind up having a little fear fight and everything else, which is kind of called off. And then um, somehow they wind up all going on this trek to go to the Forbidden, you know, valley place. And um, they they do encounter this um, creature. And... Um, <laughs> the one guy again is kill, 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 and the creature doesn't seem threatening. It's not like jumping on him; it's kind of there, and it's creepy looking. But uh, you know, Robert Vaughn is keeping his head on straight, saying, "Well, lay, no, don't jump to conclusion." Um, I, I forgot to say later, uh, before this in the movie, a guy from another tribe makes it in on a horseback to the cave. And again, our bad guys are kill, kill, kill. And he winds up stabbing this guy. And the guy's one word that he says is peace. So that kind of sets, sets you know, you know where that guy's frame of mind is regardless. Yeah. Uh, but I guess this is, this is where the big spoiler comes in. 
Y'all heard the warning earlier. We're spoiling okay, yeah, this so one. Spoiler. Yeah. So basically, they uh, the creature winds up being, um, I guess he gets a sphere thrown into by the bad guy. The bad guy gets hit with a, or Robert Von takes out the bad guy with a bow and arrow. Um, as this creature falls to the ground, its head comes off. And well, first of all, the creature was the, it's a reuse of the suit from uh, Night of the Blood Beast which is this really weird hybrid um, creature with a big little kind of like elephant kind of ad, uh, aardvark snout and claws and everything else. Um, and anyway, you see that it's a mask and there's a very old man, very old, extreme old makeup. You see the gums of his teeth and everything else. And um, he he's dead now. And then I guess in the suit, there's a book. And the book comes out and has picture postcards. And the postcards are... Go ahead, Derek. I don't know if this... this it, It's not a science book, but it does talk about the atomic era. Uh, there's pictures of like world leaders sh shaking hands, the Pentagon. Um, it's... We're not in the good past, old, folks. <laughs> good, old New, good old New York City. Yeah. From an aerial shot. Um, they're looking at this two symbol makers, father and son, they're looking at this thing going, these must have been symbols from an old age, you know, and then we have our narrator kick in, who was the older um, gentleman wearing the suit, and he says that, you know, we were a group of scientists uh, on, a, on a mission, and the bombs let loose and destroyed everything, every trace of humanity, and him and his fellow scientists, just a handful of them survived. In these, in these protective suits, of which is the one he's wearing now, uh, which I guess makes sense with the breathing and stuff. And, um, but any time anybody would come near them because they were so radioactive, they would kill them with their touch, you know, accidentally kill them. Um, he also, admit, it's funny, it also mentions that he lived a prolonged lifespan, generations, uh, because the radiation had done that to him. And I guess that was to justify the fact that if he didn't, then he should be just as old as people in the in the cave right so they had to kind of so at least they were smart enough to add that one one thing in the dialogue there is a lot of footage of um atomic bombs they use the she creature they yep. use jonathan hayes again as the mutant from day world ended um you know uh just to show that how the world just went topsy-turvy crazy how like the prehistoric beast came up out again um and that that's basically how it ends but even stranger on a rewatch it ends with uh them having the cave um you know the caveman leaving the cave going off into the thing it's all of them and the narration says but this all took place a long time ago since then they've done cities and this and tools and everything else and they wound up in the same place so um if they're trying to make a point that this is like cyclical but it's going to keep happening so maybe this is in the past and it's so happened. maybe this well yeah. yeah so that that so it is in the past um but it's the past of another thing so it it definitely reminded me of um like you said the twilight zone kind of things yeah mh uh Shyamalan's, um the village has that same kind of thing where you yeah. think you're in a certain era and i think there's a plane or some telltale things in that movie eras or way this person speak that is hinting that that's what's going on. Um, and even the creature actually in that movie looks a lot, you know, similar. It's, it's kind of pieced together. Um, 
But I think that's what that's what was kind of interesting is that if you look, knowing the end of this movie, and you go to the front, you're like, okay, maybe there were knives, maybe there were yeah, haircuts is definitely a big stretch. But I'm saying, but it, it makes a lot of the inconsistencies kind of more plausible, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I don't. Maybe we're giving way too much credit to the filmmakers here, but it does. I, I know I appreciate. I know I appreciate the ending a lot more. It didn't make up for a lot of sin. <laughs> True. You know, and it is it is a fun movie to watch. It's not just to see these different actors, you know, in it. And it, it, it does have a feel of somebody using whatever they had flying by the seat of their pants, which is kind of nice, you know. I agree. I think there's some neat stuff happening here. Um, I, I was glad to watch it. I, I'm glad, you know, I just watched it. I've been sitting on this one for a while because we've talked about doing it. We're going to do this movie. So I've been sitting on it. I didn't watch it until last night. I'm surprised so, they haven't remade it three times in the last five years. Hasn't it been remade <laughs> once? It's been remade once, but it was totally, uh, it, it was just the title alone. It was the one they did for TV with uh, um, Stan Winston was doing the design. And it actually was a caveman. It didn't have any of the story in relation to it. Although I think it did have the uh, apocalyptic thing going on, but they're kind of, you know, very, you know, unrelated. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't seen that one either, so I don't know. Yeah, I was surprised. I did not know what the ending of this would be. And I I, I saw this as a kid myself, but again, I, any glimpse of any monsters whatsoever, like Day World End is one of my favorites. So to see right. a glimpse of that, of the she-monster, and, and again, just to see them, and again, they, they weren't on television, so you kind of were like, wow, this is interesting. And, and you, know, I also got, I kind of wish he was doing a, uh, combined universe which i know aip they were talking about that like within the last 10 years about doing that but i, I imagine remember it just that. Fell, yeah. you know but i imagine it all fell through but this is kind of where you know by using bits and pieces of other movies it kind of gave an explanation that the other movies dealt with nuclear holocaust and mutations and now those mutations are referenced in this movie you know i, I thought that was definitely interesting and it could have been this big sprawling you know well, no, I kind of. Yeah. Oh. I, I've always wondered how they were going to do that because I, I remember when we read about that, and it was kind of a, a big deal within certain circles, and then just nothing ever happened. I wondered how they were going to bring in all these movies that were so clearly not connected, like the Viking women movie and all this other stuff. How they're going to make it all work? But I don't know. This movie kind of opens that up a little bit. Yeah, it it, it does, and it, it's just kind of interesting seeing how well it fit i mean it, it did fit you know pretty well especially since the bronze cage is in all of them as well mm -hmm. you know and the, and the, the you know the same piece the same people it was nice nice seeing people it's funny because you can see how people age in these movies but it's nice seeing like again rod corman stock companies coming into their own and they're like um you can see they were kind of friendly at this far it's like okay guys we're doing this mm -hmm. um and they were like, okay, yeah, let's just get the caving. I mean, it, it was just, again, I think it was more of a novelty at the time because you had the, you know, as far as the caveman thing goes. 
what I did think was funny is in that um, it was double billed with How to Make a Monster. Now, How to Make a Monster, the makeup artist, uh, I remember this in Teenage Frankenstein, Teenage um, Werewolf, but he actually makes himself up as a caveman and he beats the security guard with a giant bone. <laughs> so I got to think if that was the first feature and you saw this caveman, you're thinking the second feature, man, we haven't like younger like, caveman with the bones. Right. That's a more you know, caveman -y caveman than what we end up with. I mean, not to harp on it too much, but yeah, and we've already talked about it. The cavemen in this are very clean cut and very, they even speak so eloquently, you know? Exactly. Like, they, they do. I know. It's funny. They don't do like, oh, and this, that. even the, the broken English is not broken. Right. Uh, you know, which again, <laughs> looking at the end, you know, kind of makes sense. You know, but they <laughs> they can speak English well, but I guess they can't write it because they got to use these really crude symbols. Uh, yeah. So like, there's, there's there's a whole. I mean, there's a lot of things in there. I think conceptually, you know, that uh, that are in the scale. Unless we're just reading into it too much, but again, I kind of like the fact that you can. Yeah, which it's just it's cool. <laughs> you know, it, you got to look at it, although it was probably, you know, it does have that twist at the end. So it is kind of, there is a theme going on through the movie. They were aware of it when they were making it, which is kind of nice in a way that they didn't just tag, tag it together from other footage. Um, it also interesting just for myself, just to see how stock footage is integrated into these things. Like have everybody like look up in one direction, then cut to the dinosaur footage and, you know. If you do it fast enough, I guess you never see that they're in the same shot. Yeah, uh, I was noticing that too. There's a lot of, like when they're watching the two big dinosaurs kind of death roll around each other, which <laughs> they didn't treat animals very well back then, folks. Sometimes dinosaurs were lizards with stuff glued to their skin and they didn't care about how the, the glue came off, you know, so just keep that in mind. But... Uh, oh, hey, hey. And uh, I can't. I have to bring up that Robert Vaughn does take out a squirrel. Yeah, yeah. Well, do we see it though? I don't think we see the impact, but he eats it for dinner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So no, 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 we don't. Well, and that's more that sock footage he, sequence, have... though. That's that sock footage stuff that you're talking about because it's an extreme close-up, very well composed and shot footage of a squirrel on a branch. Cut to Robert Vaughn, medium shot. He picks up a rock. He's throwing it at the squirrel. Cut back to the squirrel. The squirrel's fine. Cut back to Robert Vaughn. It always, the, the eye lines always work. Like always, the same thing yeah. when when he uh, evidently impales one of the dogs that gets for the spear. You never see the impalement. You see the spear, but it's always it's always framed out. So, um, yeah, I'm sure it's a time. <laughs> they, they're, they're in Los Angeles City Limits fit. Uh, filming this they're not in the prehistoric world so yeah and the dogs at the end when the, the wild dog pack comes in to take out the uh the, the other teenage cavemen i don't know the other cavemen that are coming out after uh robert vaughn and the father <laughs> oh yeah no they totally look you know they're totally vicious they just let him loose well there's one shot where one of the cavemen is like hugging the dog to keep him in the shot <laughs> and the dog's trying to get away. It's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, you, gotta, you, gotta, 
Yeah, I, I love seeing that stuff. Because again, you, you're seeing a little bit more into the filmmaking process in the <laughs> earlier days. You know, before now, all of that stuff would be taken out or painted over or adjusted and, and fixed. Yeah, you know, like uh, I, I was doing a shot today where I have a guy who just, you know, blew his brains out with a gun, and he, his body is slumping in the chair. And then I, I do the effect, and I'm noticing he's still breathing. You see his chest going up and down. Oh no! So do you work on that? <laughs> yeah, I have to freeze frame it at the chest, at his chest, and you know, track it back in so he's not breathing. Because now it's so obvious. You know, everybody looks for that kind of stuff. They don't just have fun with it. I mean, this, this is a drive-in movie, a double bill. Everybody just wanted to have fun with it. The one thing I'm kind of interested with this movie is they usually have these exploit, exploitive um, moments that will get you, that are scary or something. I don't think this, they, I don't know if that creature made up for this movie isn't scary at all, really. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, we know it as a monster from something else. So, and 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 in a, the movie that it appeared in before, it was before this one, right? This is the second time it was used. Yeah, this is the second time it was used. I, I guess I guess the threat of this creature, it, they the reason they can't leave the valley is because there's this creature lurking around them. I just didn't get a sense of it as much as like say, um, Day the World Ended, where it had that mist. You know, you know, I, I always like. The fact that it was dismissed, you know, around this whole compound, that if you went out into that, it would get, I guess, a similar theme. It just didn't come across as strong, you know, because cause there weren't too many victims of it, I guess. That's true. There's a lot you of, know, but we again, don't I guess do it because it's the law, but there's really not a lot of consequences if you really do go do it. But I mean, at least, at least it was something that wasn't made up. So like Robert Roland, he, he himself saw this creature. And I, and I think once he sees it make the back of the camp, he, he tells him he saw it. You know, True. so he kind of, he yeah. leads credibility, he leads credibility to it anyway. Again, I like the creature design. It's very interesting looking. Um, you know, you see better photos of it. It's kind of half hours of big claws and everything else. Um, but yeah, well, it was it was you know used in um, like you said, not neither blood beast. It was used in well, and at the end when Robert Vaughn is confronting it, and it rises up and lifts its arms and all that, it's. I kind of thought something else was about to happen. Oh, okay. I don't know if I knew it was going to be a guy in a suit, kind of presenting that way, but. I mean, for that you know, moment, it's like, oh, this this really could be a threat. This really could be a thing. So yeah, I, I didn't the first the first time I saw this, it was like you know, it was one of the way back. Like I saw everything else first. Teenage Wolfman, Teenage Caveman, kind of didn't seem as appealing. But when I did watch it, I was surprised by that ending. I did not expect it to be, you know, this old man in, in a radiation suit. And I I kind of thought it worked. Even the design of the suit, you know, as as funny as it is, but with the big big eyes and you can see the helmet and the the nose uh or like trunk it could be like a breathing device so it actually does work for it yeah when you start to look at it and realize what it is it makes it you can make it make sense the big monster hands those are just gloves you know yeah and then the way it was all tattered because of like you know whatever just being so old and, and you know so it would have that kind of look to it so from somebody who didn't see you know 
those kind of suits. I could definitely see how that would be there. But I thought the makeup on the old man was great when they, when they showed the reveal. Because he had the, you know, bright white hair, but he, underneath it, he had an old age makeup because it was definitely, you know, added. And he, you could see the gums of his teeth were, like, withdrawn back. Yeah. It you know, really which, which I, Do we know yeah, who did it? Yeah, it did. It looked really... It did, and I, you know, like it's, it's interesting that some like that didn't come from something else. You know that that they did on the day there, they were like let's you know do this you know interesting makeup. Do we know who so did the makeup did... or any any of that? Uh, no, I don't offend. I should, but for some reason I don't. Yeah, I don't really see anything either. There's nothing. There might be something in the credits if we really look. And I know there but... was a lot about you know the suit being reused, but but. That that makeup I thought was was pretty um, you know interesting for like a character makeup. Yeah. And then then again, like I said, he does say that he he's lived generations, so he so he yeah. looks much older than. There's no way that guy'd be walking around. You know, and, and and that whole communication thing, like earlier when that poor man comes in, that's what I think was interesting too. Earlier on, when the guy from the other tribe comes in on a horse, and he's made this long journey, he slumped over the horse. And again, the bad guy's like, kill him, kill him, kill him. He's a monster. And then he even says, look at him. He has like six legs because he's in his, he's trying to convince them that the horse and the man are somehow one being fused together. Oh, it's a good point. Yeah. Um, which again, is preying on fears. And I think it's just a threat to his like authority is basically it, you know? And, and I think there's a good, uh, a good bit of dialogue with Robert Vaughn after Robert Vaughn's father, I guess, gets demoted this guy becomes like the head symbol maker of the tribe the bad guy and robert vaughn goes to him in the cave and says you know when you're in there join your symbols you know kind of watch your back and he's like you know you know why and he goes because you're the kind of man that would want the tribe to follow you and do this and that and then he says like i'm nothing like that i don't want anybody <laughs> yeah. you know he wants to be independent he totally wants to be yep you know, and and the, the it's the other guy just doesn't want to let let him go. He doesn't want to give away the control. You know, which is kind of interesting because his father seems like this big burly strong guy, but his father really doesn't doesn't say as much. I'm looking at the credits here, and and I don't see a makeup effects artist. Should mention Paul Blaisdell was the suit designer. That's the guy who did the suit. Of course, it's did a Paul Blaisdell too. I, I didn't think he did. Well, that one, okay, that's what the the internet is never wrong, Joe. Because it's interesting because <laughs> that's one that's one that I did never. But I know he did the She Creature. I know he did you know Day of the World, Band of the yeah. of the World. But that's one that he did the Tobanga. But I've never heard him attributed to this one. It but maybe looked, yeah, exactly. That's probably. I, yeah. I still think he did. I think it was just attributed to him. You know it. It does look. Blaisdellian, I guess. <laughs> it does. So, and again, it's like those those wild designs that you'd never get today. You know, you get, we got Avatar 2 coming out in a couple of months, the newest, latest technology and everything like that. And the more realistic something is, I just don't like it. <laughs> yeah? You know? I like something that I can't explain why arms and legs are where they are from. I like that kind of thinking. You know, I, I always wish that the Avatar movies had creatures that were like um, Angry Red Planet. <laughs> you know, where they were just so bizarre and out there. Okay, they were definitely not, you know, visualized well at all, right? But something like the rat, bat, spider, crab thing, 
Something like that is more interesting to me on an alien planet than something that has two more legs or arms or limbs, you know, that is still grounded in uh, earthly biology. Yeah. You know, but again, this creature design, again, they're, they're just, I guess they just ran free with their design. Like Paul Blade Bill was just great with just coming up with whatever he wanted to. And then he had scientific um, theories to back it up. What would like be on Mars? What would be like be on this? What would be, um, you know, like we talked about years ago about State of the World Ending, about how you develop a third eye, how you develop telekinesis, how you would develop your skin would be like armor, so it'd be impervious from radiation. All those, you know, adjustments. Yeah. You know, like I love those. I loved it with those on that movie about the miniature arms coming out of the guy's um, shoulders. You know, because his explanation was like mutations sometimes take long turns. And this was a long turn that never developed, but it, the remnants were still there. That's genius. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that's that's really some thinking and some, it's not like to put them in and make them cool. There's actually a reason for it. So, yeah, yeah, I, 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 it's funny because I do like Night of the Blood Beats. It's interesting for a whole nother thing that we could talk about later on. But, I mean, um, I don't know if the design kind of works good in this. Maybe better. Really? You know? I just, just by looking at the functionality of it, you know, even like the size of the head, and it has that kind of helmety feel to me. But yeah, again, somebody needs, okay. somebody needs to make this into a plush figure or something. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all can commission Tracy or, or Dominique to do that. Yeah, it's <laughs> this isn't in public domain, huh? I don't think it is, which is too bad. Because I'd show this. I'd show this in a heartbeat in this train. I know. At least two-thirds of it probably is. <laughs> well, that's a good point. That's a really good point. They bring us with stills into the rest. That's a really, really good point. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think this was, you know, released on something. I don't, I don't think this movie gets a lot of love. It's like I said, it's given that reputation. I don't think it's one of the worst movies of all time because I think it has a dog process behind it. You no, know, I don't again, think I can't fool. Yeah, I don't think it's that bad. No, I can't fool, fool filmmakers who have a decent idea that are trying to get through it and they just technologically can't. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, or budget-wise or whatever. You know, some of the other ones that, you know, like, again, I thought it was competently acted. You know, it was it definitely felt like a theater group. What was interesting is, like, like the girl at the beginning, Dara... Marshall, she hardly says anything. You know, she has like two lines. And then I, I think the wives, the women in this movie, I don't think anybody says a word. As a matter of fact, I was watching it and I noticed that a lot of the other K people, almost none of them say anything except the close stock company. And I was thinking it was because they didn't want to pay them as day players, that they couldn't have any dialogue at all. Yeah, maybe. You know, it could have been. It's funny because his wife is almost mute. The symbol maker's wife is always, uh, you know, touching him, always, almost like sign language speaking to him. The few but times. But then later that, on, but then later on, I think when he's sick, she says he's okay. Or something. Well, and there's a lot of just one word, one letter responses to a lot of things. I, I. I know. I, I like that too. They were like, they're not even sailors, they're like, they're not. Yeah. I also wonder, and I'd have to go back and rewatch this now. Do we only get dialogue in medium or, or close-up shots of the main characters? Do they just not even bother pulling out the microphones for the group shots with people? I, I don't know. I'd have to 
I don't know. double check. Yeah. Because I think, I don't care what Robert Vaughn says, and, and Robert, Roger Corman may be dismissive of this one because of the title change. I think there's some cool stuff here. And I think it'd be interesting just to kind of learn a little bit more about the uh, the production of it and, and the decisions that were made about making this thing. Unfortunately, I, I, I think like Roger the Corman's the only guy that's around that would be able to talk about it. But Well, I, I, li- I like the fact that this has that, like, um, no must be part of the, the uh, trilogy or with, with, you know, Day the World Ends, then you get this, you know what I mean, where you're getting these um, things that are linked together. You know, again, it's all nuclear holocaust stuff. But I, but again, the other thing I have to point out, this was way before, which it's in IMDb as well, this was way before Planet of the Apes did that whole thing where you're in a place... Right? Not the place you think. Um, and, you know, that, that like I said, that's pointed out on IMDb, but it's true. This was one of the first ones where you realize that, wow, Shyamalan used to semi-reach a lead with the village. But... That that I thought was interesting. That's that that impressed me again. Just that they were thinking about it back then. You know that that that's why the prehistoric world title probably was what they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of Team Ace Caveman, I, I think either one works. But I, I think that's probably what that's probably what they were thinking. But but yeah, but Plan of the Apes it has that similar thing where he's on Earth the whole time. This time you feel like you know. You know you're on Earth, but it's, it's a time thing. And then that's what threw me again at the end, Derek. You have to rewatch this again. The last line saying, but that they played a long time ago, and it shows them leaving away. And then they're going to do this, that, and the other thing. So it does seem like it's this cyclical thing they're getting to. Well, when I first watched it, I thought that was it. They're just, you know, referencing a past time, and now they're cavemen, but they're going to... The whole thing you know, like it's start the, over again. You know, they're going to take the book. They're going to decipher it. They're going to... Exactly. Do the whole thing again, which I, it's, but again, that's something interesting about human nature then they're saying, which again, you usually don't that ca- get that kind of depth. So you, you get a psychological thesis on the, <laughs> what it is to be like a teenager in prehistoric times. And, <laughs> you know, I don't think we ever go in the cave, do we? We only go into cave so. and it's painting it. Yeah. Like, we don't see anything like, uh, we know they hunt and they eat that way. Yeah. But that's, that's another thing. It's like, you would think there'd be some remnants of everything is blown up. Some remnants of civilization. You know, but they're saying, like, I guess Earth was thrown into a new ice age. The dinosaurs came back. It was like, kind of like uh, Gigantus the Fire Monster kind of thing. You know, their explanation of, you know, the whole Gigantus world Gigantus the Fire Monster. I, that's, that's another one that I'm fascinated by. It's Godzilla Raids again. But right. I'm, I'm fascinated by that, too, because it's one of those films that... They, they tried to package for the... Just, it's neat. Go look into it, folks. Maybe someday I'll talk about it here on the show. Yeah, can she, um, it, it's funny to say this. I loved it. I, I'm working on this film, and I always have a monitor on half playing of movies, and I had uh, last night Earthquake. Charles Heston Earthquake said, but for some reason, somebody uploaded on YouTube the two-part TV version, and, and they showed it on two consecutive Sundays, and they ended it where the earthquake was like halfway through, and then the second episode picked up from there. They ended a whole subplot of like, plan- I told my son that, that. It's interesting to see all these huge over three-hour movies, they would cut and make them four-hour movies. You know, for oh. the the movie of the week with the commercials, and I had totally forgot me did that. It was just interesting that kind of time capsule about you know not only changing things, 
um, for that. And I thought, wow, it was magical as a kid seeing something like that in the theater because, I mean, on TV, even extended, because in the theater, it was shown for a week or two weeks and then it went away and you'd never see it again. You know, there weren't a very few revival theaters, I guess. So it was just, it was interesting how that again was repackaged. Yeah. You know, but I know a lot of us wouldn't have been around if we didn't see the shock video package in all those Universal on TV. Um, I caught this and a lot of movies on, in New York when I was growing up, we had two, we had Creature Features on mm -hmm. Channel 5. And it always had like uh, this weird music and, and Frankenstein stills and things. And the other one was um, Chilla Theater. Now, Chilla Theater, I loved. It had this six-figured um, stop-motion animated hand coming out of the, the ground. You know, and it would spell out Chiller. And yeah. that always would play the Roger Corman. So where, where Creature Features would show a lot of the Universals, a lot of the Roger Corman like this in Day World ended in... Um, Brain Eaters were all shown there. And and that that was just fun because, again, sometimes the reception wasn't great, so it'd go in and out. And that even made it cooler because you felt like you were getting something stranger, something kind of, you know, as a kid of the age, like I talked about when we were watching um, Day of the World Dead, that I remember adjusting the area with oven mitts because I thought I was going to get radiation because I thought whenever the static of the TV would come on that I was being exposed. <laughs> so I would do it, try to adjust it for like three seconds, then go behind the couch, and then I'd go in the bathroom and look to see if I got any weird bumps or growths on me. Then I'd go <laughs> back with the oven mitts and the TV again. So there's this constant thing. And my brother, I'd like keep him behind the couch because we didn't want to get hit with the static because the static was radiation. <laughs> You know, so, so that kind of, you know, it was just, it was just kind of fun. And this is the kind of movie which I'm pretty sure we had a wooded area by us when we were growing up that we would make our own spheres and we'd go around and we'd just be playing caveman and everything else, waiting for some monsters to jump out, you know, at us. Most of the time I was the monster. Of course you, you know. were. But, but yeah, exactly. Of course again, you were. it just, you know. It's just, so there's a certain, you know, magic in that kind of thing. They're totally time castles. You know, they were. This this was young in Roger Corman's career. Um, and he's done some amazing stuff. Um, I recently watched, um, what was it? Um, Frankenstein Unbound, which I hadn't watched for years. That was just the last thing that he uh, directed. Yeah. It's the last thing on his directorialist. I actually remember really liking that. I haven't watched it in forever. But I remember really liking it. How'd it hold up? It, it held up really, really well. It, it was very, it was very interesting because again, it had uh, you know contemporary cast like uh, Raul Julia, I guess, was Frankenstein. Yeah, is that right? But yeah, no, it, it, and uh, yeah, I, I liked it because I, I thought it was a total different take. It's funny because it had a lot of you know modern technology in it. Mm -hmm. You know, I heard that Roger Corman is why well, I. I now he's developing a remake. I don't know if he's directing or not of Little Shop of Horrors, um, and not musical. It's not a musical version. So he's he's been he. I guess I read an interview. He was had three or four writers try to tackle it. Finally, somebody got the right tone, and they're going ahead with it. So this might be wow. one that he's. Uh, it, it might be back to his uh, directing roots at what hundred? I think he just turned ninety nine. <sighs> So, yeah, so he's just like an edge. He just keeps going on. I mean, you know, pretty amazing. But again, it, I guess these are my comfort food movies. 
know whether good or bad. They're the ones that stick with me. They're the ones I always put on on a rainy day. Not the newer ones, just these, because there's some kind of comfort in there. It brings me back. It brings me back to why I do this now and while I'll always be a fan of mm-hmm. stuff. And, and um, you know, that put it on the map. You know, I, I never looked at it, you know, as being like inferior or I didn't believe this or that. I mean, you know, the frame of mind you are as a child, you, that you're more open-minded. I guess I just, you know, took it with a grain of salt. Was like, well, this is, you know, this is kind of the way it is. You know, it, it is fun going to places like uh, Bronson Caves and just with this in mind and just seeing those kind of places or Baskin's Rocks here, you know, in Los Angeles and just seeing those kind of places. It's just, it's kind of surreal that it actually exists. Someday I'm going to get out there. Someday. Yeah, no, you de- you, def- you definitely have to get out there. It'll be a Monster Kid Radio road trip. Got to happen, man. Someday, dude. Someday. But yeah, interesting <laughs> stuff. And like Derek had talked before, we we have this ongoing project about the way things were done in the old days, you know, just different techniques that are still, you know, very viable. I'm trying to recreate a bunch from just my own experimentation. Um I'm amazed to just look at this stuff. I've got these records from uh, Lost in Space and um, a lot of the old movies. I've got the journals from the visual effects guy and um, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. It's amazing. You see just, it's very dangerous. A lot of gunpowder, a lot of black powder and things. (laughs) But they actually show how the rig, there's diagrams on where to put the rigging are, how to explode volcanoes, how to do this and that. And it's like, you know, luckily those guys came out of it with their fingers and toes, but it's just fascinating to look at just the problem solving, you know, without the computer technology. And like I said, there's a certain interpretation you have to do, you know, and that, that's why I think with computers, because computers are just ones and zeros, it's exact. So any mistakes, you have to put in the mistakes. And the mistakes seem like they're half the fun, those those magic moments. Mm-hmm. You know, the way light hits something at a certain angle. Oh, my God, you know, that just looks beautiful. Or in CGI, you'll never get that. You have to put that in because it's never going to give you a magic moment. It's always going to give you exactly what you put into it. You know, and and physically, like I, I was saying before, it, it makes it a little bit, you know, more difficult um, where... Instead of just putting blood in, like I'm dealing with this now, instead of just putting blood in the guy's mouth and letting it drip out, you have to track it on. And then the skin is moving. So it becomes this big, you know, couple week sequence where it's, could have just done it on set with a little bit of food. <laughs> so they should have had you on set, man. Yeah, well, I guess that one got through. <laughs> that one got through my fingers. <laughs> It was funny, though, on this particular show, um, the lead act, uh, one of the lead actors I have, he's having a battle. He gets a gun put in his mouth and blows his brains out. I did it practically. I did it with a compressed air rig that blew uh, stuff behind the thing. The funny thing is I'm mixing the, you know, I'm always paranoid. If this one shot deal, it's going to make a mess. Is it going to work or not? So I made it this concoction at home. I had my poor son strapped a device to him, did it, you know, brains all over the place. And I'm, I, I, okay. What am I going to make the brains out of? I go to the grocery store and I'm like, looking to chop meat and things like that. And then I see some of the vegan options and they look pretty gnarly. So I'm like, you know, of course the guy comes up to me, can I help you? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, you know, if you're going to get the vegan one, I wouldn't get this. And I'm like, I'm not going to eat this. You know, and he looks at me and goes, well, if your friend's going to eat, I think he'd like this one better. And, and he's like, no, no, I need to make a guy's head explode and it's going to be, 
And he was like, he, he literally stopped, paused, looked at me, said, you look like you know what you're doing, then left. <laughs> and then I think it was like earlier in the day, I'd gone a certain amount of tubing. I need, to, I need the blood to go through it. And my son always hits me on the back of the head. He goes, you've got to tell them you're working on a movie. He says, you're talking about an exploding branch. You're talking about blood tubing. They don't know what you're talking about. They think, you know, you have the long hair, a beard. They think you're uh, whatever they think. But they don't think you're working on a movie. So I was like, all right. So for this particular movie, I've got to do the guys with brains. So I load up the pipe with the, you know, chop meat and blood. And it looks nasty. I do the test. It works that great. So I made two of these up. I get them set up. For the next day, we're going to shoot it. You know, the shot's right after lunch. And I'm at lunch, and I'm like getting those feelings are getting to me again. Oh, no, it's a one-shot deal. Um, what happens if this doesn't work? It's been in the fridge all night. Do you think maybe it got stuck, you know, congealed together? Oh, no. So I get it, and there's the trash bag. And I said, let me just release the valve a tiny bit. <laughs> I released it a tiny bit. It went all, it used the whole thing. It went all over the place. The whole place where we were eating looked like brains exploded all over. <laughs> and we're shooting after lunch, so like, so it worked. But then, um, you know, like 10 minutes, we have to do the shots. I'm looking around, and um, at craft service, so I'm like, I think we had like Swedish meatballs. They were all gone. You know, there was like all of the good stuff that I could have used was already gone. The pocket salad just wouldn't look the same. So I, I see something that wasn't touched, and it was a box of Slim Jims. And I'm like, Slim Jims are made of meat, right? So I get my little knife, cut up all, open up all the Slim Jims, and stick them in and use those. You know, we went, we did the shot, you know, the one-take deal. It turned out fantastic. You know, it went all over the place. It was really gruesome, and everybody applauded. It was so funny. And then, um, and like, what did you use for the Slim Jims? So for, forever now... I'm going to use, for brain material, Slim Jims. <laughs> so, All right. So you never know. <laughs> so, so, so Slim Jims do have a purpose. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, um, yeah, I got nothing. I got nothing. <laughs> well, I told you about thinking, thinking about a CD of pants. I'm like, Roger Cole, the most filmmakers, like, again, I applaud these guys that have very little money and just have to make it up as they go. And right. a lot of it's just hopes and dreams. And do you know if it's going to work or not? No. But that's part of the fun part, especially, especially shooting it. You know, that that's fun, just knowing, you know, knowing that. But, <laughs> so anyway, so if you, if you ever have that specific need, I'll keep you go. it in so, mind. So stock up on the Sunday. And for some reason, people weren't like, um, you're grabbing them up, so <laughs> probably work better than the meatballs would have anyway. <laughs> but yep, and I'm not even gonna guess the twin gyms and they <laughs> just say it's some kind of meat. Um, but yeah, so that's that's a little behind the scenes. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you stump me, man. I I don't know. I got nothing. <laughs> I got nothing. But yes, yeah, so we discussed other projects or other um, films we were going to try to cover on this. So, yeah, we're going to be talking about bill. Brain Eaters at some point, folks. So hold us to that. That's going to happen. You've brought up a couple over the years. 
Yeah, well, Brain Eaters, Derek and I own Brain Eaters now. We each have one. You know, so we want to kind of get that into the conversation. So, uh, yeah, Brain Eaters. And that, 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 um, funny about those movies, I love the fact that when I first saw Brain Eaters, it was way after I saw um, uh, Donald, the Puppet Masters, Robert Highland, the Puppet Masters. Oh, okay, 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 yeah. So, which... Uh, they say, although it's kind of coincidental, they say that the Brain Eaters is a loose adaption of the Puppet Masters, although it's probably taken directly from Puppet Masters. Mm-hmm. But I, I like it when uh, I saw one that somehow got by my radar, and then I'm then I discover, wow, Brain Eaters. I did the same thing with them. Oh, I loved Omega Man. So in the theaters, Charlton Heston couldn't beat it. And then I'm on TV. You know, I'm a kid. I'm on TV. I think it was like a week after I saw Omega Man. And what do I see? Vincent Price, Last Man on Earth. Nice. And it's like, what could be cooler than Charlton Heston? Vincent Price, list. <laughs> Very cool. You know, so it's fun finding the retro things you didn't know existed. And I'm hoping today, like a lot of people, with a lot of these remakes and things like that, go back to the originals and say, I didn't know something came back, you know, was done before and go back and appreciate it. Yeah, you know, I agree. For what it was. Yeah, so, yeah, so we've got that one. I think I talked about maybe uh, Major Colossal Man at one point. Yeah, there, there's still a bunch in there, but I'm I'm so glad we got this one in the in the can, as it were. You know, Finally, you particularly <laughs> wanted to do teenage caveman. I guess you were curious about this one. Well, you brought it up at one point, and I thought, you know, that sounds kind of cool, and it's one I've not seen. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. Like I said, I think I think the title probably turns people off because you know, uh, or or it looks, you know. Uh, you know, granted, you see one one still of uh, Robert Vaughn as a teenage caveman, and you're kind of like, yeah. <laughs> What's well, that sea serpent one with the long title, of Journey of the Sea Serpent, whatever it was? Yeah, the Viking woman in the world of the sea serpent. Yeah, it's, you know, I don't ever know. <laughs> which had the same dog. <laughs> I read it had the same dog, so that, that had something going for it. If there should be, well, this probably is like the, what's the seven, six degrees of separation or something with Roger Corman. <laughs> the Roger yeah, Corman game. Too, that makes yeah, sense. Be probably too easy to do. Yeah, that, that, that would work. <laughs> Discover Planet of the Apes. A civilization where humans run wild in the jungles and the superior beings are apes. Tribunal has placed you in my custody for final disposition. Do you realize what that means? No. Emasculation to begin with. Then experimental surgery on the speech centers, on the brain. Then a kind of living death. Here we are at the end of the episode. Thank you for listening. Thanks for being here. Love doing this. I really do. Uh, And I've kind of hinted at it a little bit in this episode, and I've talked about it in other places as well. Going through a lot of changes, doing a lot of self-reflection, doing a lot of Smith therapy. Uh, I don't know. Almost none of you know what I'm talking about there. But I've just been going through some stuff. And just kind of reevaluating what I do with my life and that sort of thing. And 
one of the things that has brought me so much joy over the years is Monster Kid Radio. So thank you for being here with me for this. If you want to know anything about Monster Kid Radio, what's going on with the podcast, where you can find us, links to anything we talk about, monsterkidradio.net is where you're going to want to go. You can find links to our Facebook page, our Facebook group, our Twitter, our Discord, our Reddit, our Patreon, our Twitch. It's all there. We do so much, or at least we have the option to do so much. I'd love to have you there to join us and do some of that much with us. I that didn't make any Y'all know what I meant. Uh, but please check it out. You're going to find links to everything we've talked about here on the show as well. Uh, we're also going to have the Amazon affiliate links. So if you do want to pick up anything, please consider using the Amazon affiliate links because it really helps us out here on the podcast. It helps me out and it helps me justify to myself and my bank account how much time I spend working on and producing the podcast. So please consider using the Amazon affiliate links. Even if you're not buying anything that there's an actual button to just click on the button that looks like Frankenstein's monster walking. It's got a big a in the middle of it. Just click on that. That'll take you to Amazon itself and keep you within the affiliate bubble or umbrella. So that if you buy anything using that link, we still get a little bit of kickback from Jeff Bezos for that. What's coming up next week on the show? I have no idea. Uh, I have blown through all of my recordings at this point. So I need to come up with something. Stay tuned. I'll come up with something I'm sure soon. I hope. We'll figure it out. We'll come up with something. Yeah, stay tuned. If you need more Monster Kid Radio goodness, you can always find us on Twitch every Saturday starting at 11 a.m. Pacific. The new show starts with a pre-show, and then there's anywhere from six to eight hours of movies. I do pop in live, at least I try to. October is going to be a little bit different because, unfortunately, I did have to take a second job, which, you know, I, I just, the podcasts, the Patreons and all that, it doesn't cover enough. So I had to take on a second job, which is going to take me away from doing a lot of live appearances, but still the movies are there and there's a community there that I would love for you to be part of at twitch.tv slash monster kid radio. We put those movies on a loop. So if you don't catch it live, quote unquote live on Saturday, you can always just stick around and tune in and catch up with the movies. And then we start a new stream on Tuesday at the same place at around 3.30 p.m. Pacific. It's usually more science fiction themed, although last week we did sword and sandal films. Just, it's a little bit more specific, non-monster specific, but anyway, it's fun, it's free, and it needs you to be there to make it even better. If you're interested in what's going on with me personally, I am tracking my writing journey over at the Monster Kid Writer YouTube channel. Just go look up Monster Kid Writer. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes to that as well. And I think that's about it. So remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 Unported license. Of course, it doesn't apply to the song Gagawag. That is copyright 2022 Bloodshot Bill. Provided to the show courtesy of High Tide Recordings. You can learn more about High Tide Recordings at their website at hightiderecordings.com. High Tide is H I T I D E, then recordings.com. Go check them out. Check out all of their music. Let them know that you heard about them here on Monster Kid Radio. My name is Sarah Kim Cook. I'll talk to everybody next week. Ciao.